You know the Lord wants to have a relationship with you? You know that? You know? He just doesn't live somewhere out there in the cosmos, somewhere out there distant, but he lives very intimately. He wants to live. It says, in whom we live and move and have our being. And God wants that intimacy with you. He wants you to know him, and he wants you to experience him in every area of your life, not just here on a Sunday morning, but Thursday afternoon or when you have something happen to you. He wants you to experience his presence everywhere you go. Amen? You can be seated for a minute. I want to share something out of Philippians. I, I prepped something for this morning to share, and then I was in my office this morning, and the Lord kind of spoke to me and said, you know, I want you to read something because... You know, Paul writes the letters of uh, the, the letter to the church in Philippi, and he writes them a letter. And in chapter three, starting in verse two, he gives them kind of an interesting warning, and he says this: in starting in Philippians three, verse two to eleven, watch out for those dogs, those workers of evil, evil, the manipulators of the flesh, for it is we who are the circumcised, we who worship God by the Spirit, we glorify in Christ Jesus, who put no we put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have some confidence, if anyone else thinks he is grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. So Paul's saying, I have all this confidence in who I am as a person, but he says this. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, persecuting the church, as to righteousness under the law, faultless. But whatever was an asset to me, I count as a loss for the sake of Christ. And then he says in verse 8, he transitions it. Now, this is what I want to focus in on. He transitions it and he says this, and more than that, I count all things as loss as compared to the surpassing excellence of knowing Christ. I mean, think of that. He says, I count everything a loss to know Christ. And then he goes on and he says this, he says, he's my Lord, for whom I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish. I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God, on the basis of faith, which, or excuse me, what uh, uh, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to him in death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection of the life. And I was thinking about that passage, and I was thinking as the Lord spoke to me to share that with you this morning, is, you know, too many believers know God cerebrally, but they don't know him intimately. You see, there's a distance between our head and our heart that sometimes we, we kind of separate the two, and we process things because we are all so smart, aren't we? We know so much, don't we? And we rely on our degrees, we rely on our experience, we rely on our past. And the Lord wants you to know there's nothing wrong with loving the Lord with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. But he wants you to love him with the totality of who you are, not just one aspect of your life. And I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about how so many times we pursue the Lord. And I find that after, you know, 35 years of pastoring, I find that people tend to pursue the Lord more when there's a tragedy in their life than when things are going good, you know? And God wants you to be a passionate pursuer of him at all times, not just when it's bad, but he wants you to be a passionate pursuer of him when the, the times are good. And he goes on, and I was looking at this passage, and the Lord kind of spoke to me and broke it down 
and a couple things that you and I could learn. Look what it says here. First thing you have to have is you have to have a hunger. I mean, how many of you have ever been hungry for something? How many of you are hungry right now? You know, Sarita brought cherries in this morning. They were so good. You have to wait till after service to get them now, if there was any left. But have you ever hungered for something where, I don't know about you, but sometimes when you eat, you're just not satisfied with what you, you, you eat, and you're just like, I don't know, like, I just want something else. Maybe it's that salted caramel chocolate that's 70% fat content in it, you know, that good stuff, you know. I don't, I don't want vegetables. I want something that's not good, you know. But, you know, you hunger, and God says this. He says, when you hunger after me, I will satisfy you. And if you look at the text, it says, Paul says this, I want to know Christ. That's a hunger. That's a passion. That's something that God desires for us to have is a knowledge of him and a hunger and a thirst for him. And when you do that, it starts setting things on a track, setting things on a course that you're not, you're not expecting the outcome to be what it is. But when you hunger after God, he says, all of these other things will be added unto you. And then he goes on in a little bit further in the verse. And in, in verse uh, uh, 9, he says, our life gets changed. How? Because of the righteousness of God. When you are in a passionate pursuit of God, he changes things. He changes things externally for you. But more importantly, he changes things internally. There's a change of our heart. There's a change of our will. There's a change of our desire. All of these things get changed. And then he says this, so that I can have a greater capacity. How many of you want more of the Lord? You know, you just don't, we don't just come to church on Sunday because we have nothing better to do on Sunday morning from 10 to 12. We come because we want to spend time fellowshipping with one another and have an intimate relationship with the God of the universe. We want God to speak to us through his word. We want the presence of the Holy Spirit to, to saturate into us. Some of us, we come with like a little bit of crust on us. You know what I mean? You ever been out in the backyard and you water the grass or water the lawn and, and, and or probably better with dirt and it gets kind of a little hardness over the top of it? Well, the presence of the Holy Spirit breaks that up. And the presence of the Holy Spirit tills that in our lives. And he says that he's going to give us a greater uh, a changed life and then a greater capacity because through the power of the resurrection, the power of the resurrection of Christ is what comes in. And when the Spirit of God begins to flow in you, you cannot help but be changed. Let me tell you something, folks. If you're the same in your walk with the Lord as you were a year ago, you're stagnant. If you're not growing, if you're not actively pursuing the Lord, if you're not actively seeking after him, you're in a state of stagnation. And God wants you to grow every single day. You know, someone gave my daughter some flowers. I don't know who. They gave them, and they're, out, they're on her desk out here. And she walked in the other day, and they were, like, in desperate need of water and sunshine. And I put them out. They're out on the patio out here because I see them every day when I'm sitting at my desk. And... And, and I went out this morning, and Sandy, Pastor Sandy, was over in the children's area, and I just turned the hose on and just drenched them because they were dry. And what happens when we get dry? We start to wilt. We lose the beauty. We lose the presence of the Lord in our life. We lose that, that, that glory of God that surrounds us, and we start to fade. And God says when you're, you have that capacity, you're making more room. God, God wants you to make room for him. And then he says, as you continue, he says in the same verse, in, in verse 10, he says, and then you have a new perspective. How many of you enjoy the fellowship of his suffering? That doesn't make sense, does it? Do you like to suffer? How many of you enjoy? No, none of us like to suffer. But you see, he changes our perspective. Because we realize that through the breaking of what Christ did for us, 
there's new life. Through, through the resurrection and the power of Christ that flowed through him, there is newness. Even in a time of difficulty, when you know him and you, you have that hunger for him and you, you open up and you say, Lord, let my life be changed by you. Lord, I increase my capacity to know you. He says, you know what? All things can work together for the good of those that love God. All things, even a crushing. You know, the finest olive oil is made by taking olives and putting them under a large, heavy stone and wheeling that stone over them. And then the preciousness of the olive oil is squeezed out of those olives. Let me tell you, when you go through a difficult time, what the Lord is doing is just refining you. He's making you into a better person. He's making you into a richer, more refined, more purified person. I don't know about you, but for me, there's still some junk that God has to work in me, you know? And in talking to some of you, I know there's some junk he's working out of you too. And during that crushing process, we allow the, the power of the, 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 his suffering to flow through us. And then he says this, and then after you have this, he says, and then we're conformed like him unto his death. Aren't you glad for that? He doesn't just crush you to leave you there. He crushes you so you can be conformed into his image and likeness. And his image and likeness is perfect. Everything about him is good. And one thing that God wants to do is he wants you to have a deep, deep, deep abiding presence of him in your life. You know, my wife and I, we, we tease each other all the time. And, you know, we've been married for how many years now? You tell me, right? 29 plus years, you know? And I remember when we were first dating. I was dating her and she didn't know it. And uh, all the guys, you know what I'm talking about, guys? You know? And I remember how our, our relationship when we first came together as a couple was very shallow. But after years of nurturing, years of pouring into one another, years of learning, now we start finishing each other's sentences. We start acting alike. Where food choices are the like. Things we like to do are a lot. Why? Because we're, we're in union. And God wants you to be in union with him. He wants you to have an intimacy with him that is so far beyond what you could even imagine or ask. And so I want to pray for us this morning. How many of you say, God, you know, Lord, I want to know you better. I want to know you. I want to know you in all areas of my life. I want you to come in, Lord, like a mighty rushing wind. I want you to come in with the power of your Holy Spirit. I want you to come in in a way that, that changes me and transforms me. Father, right now we come before you. Lord, we sang songs about come Holy Spirit, but Lord, we want you to come right now. And I want you to percolate down, Lord, from our, our brain into our heart. Lord, percolate down from our thoughts of what we know the Bible says about you to who you actually are, and you get into our heart, which transforms us. Lord, you say that we are transformed by the renewing of our mind, but the action of the transformation of our mind works itself out in our lives. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to know you in an intimate, deep way, Lord. I pray that you would peel off things that we maybe have wrong thinking about you or distorted thinking about you, and we would know you based upon your word. We would know you based upon the truth of who you are portrayed in scripture. We would know you by the power of the Holy Spirit. We would know you by the power of your suffering, the power of your resurrection. Lord, we would know you and we would be transformed, God, as a result of that. And Lord, I pray for each and every one of us that, God, you would change us. 
right now, God, you know things about us that we hide from our friends, we hide from our family. If we have spouses, we hide from our spouses. But God, you know them. And I pray you get into those crawl spaces in our life. You get into those closets in our life. You get into the attics of our life. And God, you transform us by the word of God. And I pray that as a result of that, God, we will grow deeper and we will grow more mature and we will be stronger in our faith because of the goodness of our God. And Lord, we pray that right now your Holy Spirit would just seal this in us. Right now, God, seal us with the Holy Spirit. Lord, put that pledge upon our lives. Put that mark upon us, Lord. Put that presence of your Spirit that would, would check us from doing things that we shouldn't do so that we could be conformed into your image and likeness. And I pray that, God, there would be a resurrection of the love for God in our lives, a resurrection for the love for your word, a resurrection for the love of the Spirit, Lord, a resurrection of uh, things in our life that would change us and transform us so that we would know you and we'd be transformed as a result of that. And, Father, I pray that, they, that, that there would be a, a, a substantive difference in us as a result of this. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Amen. Aren't you glad the Lord loves you? Aren't you glad the Lord cares about you? Aren't you glad that the Lord has a word for you? That's just not just this, you know, boring, dry, dull thing, but he's, it's an active, it's alive. He transforms us into his image and likeness. Praise the Lord. I wanted to give you extended hugging time. All right. How are we doing today? Praise the Lord. You all here. Got people traveling. It is vacation time. But you know what? When you're in town, be in the house of the Lord. As I get older, I get more clear on my communication. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Because I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am not ashamed, and nor should you be of the gospel of Jesus Christ, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. And it is our priority. The gospel of Jesus Christ is our priority. And, um, you know, we're in this uh, series, Who Switched the Price Tags? And for some reason, I'm just going to hit it straight today. You know how I am, a straight shooter. Because I don't like when the enemy's lying to people and they're following those lies, and even the people of God. And one of the things that the price tags have been switched is the value of being in community. That is not my sermon today, but I'm telling you, the value, there is value in community, in consistent community. This means, for those of you new, you say amen. I agree. See, the enemy wants you to be out of community because community is our protection. And more now than ever do I see solitary Christians who are not living victorious lives, who are very deceived, and it's very concerning to me as a leader in the body of Christ to see that. I see people being led by the world and not by the Holy Spirit, those even calling themselves Christians. And I am angry at the enemy for that. But I also need to confront the lie that is present, that has become acceptable in the church, that it's okay for me not to be in community. 
It's not okay. It's a lie. You need to be in community because that is your protection. We are strong together. We are, God didn't make us to be an island and unto ourselves, but we are a community. We are a body. We being many are one body. Your eyeball does not have a life of its own. It's not out there taking the bus and going and getting sushi. <laughs> Here I am rolling around this little eye. I'm Jose's eyeball. No, we being many are one body that we function health in health together. Isolation is unhealthy. And it creates disease and sickness in your spiritual life. And it creates open doors for deception. And as a, I just got to be straight up with you about that. I just want to be straight up with you about that. I know a lot of pastors are afraid to say something. I'm not going to be afraid to say something because it's a lie that keeps growing and growing in the lives of believers. I've even seen it in my own family, not my immediate family, but in my extended family. And it is very grievous to me because it leads people, even people who have once called themselves committed Christians, down a pathway of deception. And pretty soon they find them in a destination. This has nothing to do with my sermon. But they find themselves in a destination far off. And that's not for you. That is not God's will for us. So I want to challenge us to make community a priority. Amen. I know that was from, the, I, I just know the Holy Spirit wanted me to say that. Hallelujah. We're good. I was praying for you. I've been burdened for my, my people. You're my people. And I've been praying for you because... As I have become more aware of people and their lives and their struggles, you know, it's been, I've been wrestling with why people aren't overcoming. Why is it that they're not yet victorious in certain things? And this week I was really wrestling with that because I know that's not the will of the Lord for you. That is not what the Word of God says for your life. And so as I was wrestling, I really believe that some of us in this house need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And some of us have, some of us have a long time ago, some, but I believe that for some of us, that baptism is going to give us that strength and power. And so I was talking with the Lord about that. And so one of the things, I'm just going to give you a little commercial before I get into the message today that um, this fall, we're going to have an opportunity for you to, to come to, those of you that need this, to come to what I am calling a Holy Spirit Baptism Retreat. And I'm going to, Pastor David and I, along with some select leaders, are going to take you with us to a time where we tarry with you so that you will be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's going to be a Thursday night, Friday night thing. It's going to be a retreat, meaning you're going to leave your place. It's going to be a commitment on your part. I want to just give you that commercial. We already have the dates. Um, and we already have the place. I really feel that there are some, I don't care if it's one, I'm going to go with you. We're going to do this. Two, three, doesn't matter. 
I really believe that the cultivation of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is going to give overcoming power. I am sick and tired of, of people being in bondage. Your desert is not your destination. Your prison is not your destination. A bondage is not your destination. That is not your destination. The world will tell you it's your destination. It is not your destination. And the baptism of the Holy Spirit is going to help you. It's, it's going to help you have an overcoming life. So the dates of that we already have. If you're thinking, you know, you need to pray about it, November 14th through 16th. November 14th through 16th is right around the corner. It's not very far away. I kind of, some of you will have to take a day off from work, probably Friday, because we're going to start Thursday night. But you know what? We're going we're gonna to do this. We're going to do this. Okay? So um, November 14th through 16th, uh, more information is going to come. Some of you, you say, well, that's quite a commitment. Well, that's a financial commitment, too. Yep. 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 Just like you go on a vacation. Yep. That financial thing, just like you buy little things to ride on the water and just like you go have a gym uh, membership, yep, it is a commitment. But it's going to be a life-changing, not just event, but you're going to leave changed forever. We're going to be a muscle church. This is a powerhouse. We are going to walk in authority. You were designed for authority. You were designed to walk on authority. I'm going to talk to you about who switched the price tag, spiritual light or spiritual darkness. And the reason why I'm going to talk to you about this is because there's a lot of confusion in our culture, in our world, about what is spiritual light, what is spiritual darkness. We have something that has been around for a long time now called the New Age Movement. New Age Movement really seeks to create spirituality spirituality, which has no commitment to really anything. It takes on everything. We call it in cross-cultural studies syncretism, which is a mixing of Christianity with other things, other spiritual things outside of the Word of God. And this New Age movement mixes darkness with light and creates deception it even creates spiritual experiences. But I want you to know, not all spiritual experiences are from the Lord. I'm just going to, I'm going to unveil some things. I want you to really think about your own life as I preach. This is for you to evaluate. See, the, the spirit realm is a super highway. And you must be tethered to the Lord and to the word of God. That's why Pastor David teaching you how to study the word is so significant. Because, because you need to know what spirit by which you're being confronted by. And in our culture more than ever, there is a spirit realm that is very active. It has always been active here in the United States, but it's been more subtle. But now with the... the emergence of many religions and all these other things, even this, even our, our acceptable gurus who like to talk about self-empowerment and all these things that are out there. And I, I have seen, I've even met Christians, people who were formerly Christian now. I'm spiritual. I'm not a Christian. I'm spiritual. Used to be a Christian. 
because they have bought in to spiritual power that is outside of the Lord, the Holy Spirit. And this is permeating our society. It's permeating business. It's permeating self-help. It's permeating how you raise your children. It's permeating people. And it's very concerning because it's deception from the enemy because it's mixing light with darkness. That is, once again, why it's so important that we have alignment with the Word of God because that is the testing ground for our spiritual experience. It's a testing ground for what comes to us because the word of God is truth. And there still is truth. Jesus is the way, truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Do you hear it? No one comes to the Father but by Christ alone. But out here in our culture are all these saying, be open-minded, they say to us. Be open-minded. Why? Because you, they want light to be mixed with darkness. And we need to be aware that we do not dabble in the things of darkness. Things that can even come to us and it looks like it's okay. But it leads us down a pathway of mixing Light with darkness, which creates deception. I'm going to challenge us on that today. In Ephesians, Paul writes, and the book of Ephesians is actually, if you can get any book in the Bible that's about spiritual warfare, it would be the book of Ephesians. Ephesus was a very spiritual place. It was a place of the worship of Artemis or Diana, uh, a very uh, prominent idol. In the, in the culture. And Paul writes to these people. And he says many things. I'm going to refer to some other things later. But he says in Ephesians 6 verse 10. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. See there are spiritual forces out there. That people can try to gain, to use, to get whatever they're wanting in this life. But Paul says, you be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. And then he goes on to talk about the armor of God. So it's very important for us to realize that spiritual blindness in our culture is an epidemic. See, the enemy has blinded the world through sin, and he wants to sustain the blindness. That's the enemy. He wants to sustain spiritual blindness. Spiritual blindness is revealed in how people see things. They see death as life. They see immorality as freedom. They see selfishness as enrichment. They see darkness as light. That is spiritual blindness. No wonder the world's message is so different than the word of God. Because they're spiritually blind. And I want to be honest with you. We are not to expect the world to see when they still are spiritually blind. You cannot see without knowing Jesus Christ. You can, do you hear me? You cannot spiritually see without knowing Jesus Christ. This all started, the blindness started in the Garden of Eden. And I want to just target that for a minute, Genesis chapter 3. Because the first thing that changed in the garden when sin came was how Adam and Eve saw things. 
Genesis 3, verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Let me note some things here. Eve's eyes desired what was forbidden. Here she was in the presence of God. She was in paradise. She was in the Garden of Eden. She had not yet experienced evil or wickedness or darkness. And yet her eyes desired what was forbidden. I have found and encountered many Christians who have desired what was forbidden. Desiring. It always begins with desiring what is forbidden. Here we are, blood-bought by Jesus. And then we get a little cooled off. Blood-bought, yay. Then we start going, you know, walking in our blessing. And we begin to desire what is forbidden. But what happens? Then their eyes were open to sin. They now were exposed to evil through their disobedience, and they would see death. When they sinned, their eyes were open, not to light. They already saw light. Their eyes were now open to death and to evil, and they placed themselves on the trajectory of darkness, of spiritual death. And this happens. As a result of sin, and then their actions follow that because all of a sudden they want to hide in the dark. They want to cover up. See, spiritual darkness encourages isolation, they hid from God, secrecy, lies, and hiding. So if any of that is in our lives, any of that is in our lives, isolation, secrecy, lies, or hiding, we're allowing spiritual darkness. You're right, it is quiet. But I want you to think, because I know it's hard to listen sometimes. See, this is the thing. They didn't want the light of the Father. Once sin entered in, they did not want the light of the Father to shine upon them. See, the enemy... See, what the enemy did then, and he still does now, is that the, the greatest evil is how the enemy parades around as light. The greatest evil is how the enemy parades around as light. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen says, And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. That is why we have to be in the word. That's why we have to be in alignment with the Lord. Remember the superhighway that I talked about? The enemy is good at deception. He is good at trying to get you to be enticed by some sort of power you can have outside of your relationship with the Lord. 
2 Corinthians 4, 4. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. So remember, unbelievers live in darkness. Unbelievers do not see light. Do you hear me? They do not see light. They don't know light yet, not the truth of light. They believe darkness to be light and light to be darkness. And the truth is that the light of God to an unbeliever, at least at first, it can be repulsive to them. Have you ever been asleep? I don't know about you. I like my room dark when I sleep. You know what I mean? Like no light even under the, the doorway. You know what I'm saying? I like it like a cave. Come on, people. Cool like a cave. Okay. But don't you hate when somebody comes in and just flips on the light? So irritating. So frustrating. So like you just want to come out of that bed and go, rawr. He, don't, he doesn't really do that. And you know, we're light to people. We're light to people. Why do, we, why do we expect the world to just go running after it? No, it, it can't be repulsive. Now, light should shine in darkness. That is the goal. But we need to realize that we are not necessarily acceptable to the world when we're walking in the light. Spiritual eyesight. Seeing. Being able to see now because you walk in the light. Some people say to me, and, and I know they said, they've said this to many pastors or ministers, even to Jesus. If there would be more miracles, Pastor Lynn, people would believe. See, they would see spiritually. If, we, if, if God would do this thing, this miracle, this healing, this, they, people would believe. They would have spiritual sight. But that's not true. Luke eleven twenty nine. Jesus asks, says that people asking for a sign is a sign of a wicked generation. Why? Why did Jesus say that? Because the basis of our faith is not seeing, it's believing without seeing. See, the sinful, willful nature of people causes us to reason even away miracles. So when we see miracles, when we see healings, if our willful, sinful nature will reason it away. Jesus did miracles, signs, and wonders before the people, and yet they continued to choose spiritual blindness. John 12, verse 37, let's read it. Even though he had done so many signs and miracles before them, yet they did not believe. But they did not believe and failed to trust him. He has blinded their eyes and he has hardened their heart to keep them from seeing with their eyes and understanding with their heart and being converted. Otherwise, I, their God, would heal them. I'm going to tell you, a physical sign will not cause someone to believe because belief comes through our faith. People are spiritually sick because they're spiritually blind. And spiritual blindness is healed through the act of faith in believing in Christ Jesus. 
And we need to change our heart to the Lord. It's not because of what we see. It's because we believe without seeing. We decide to adopt and welcome Christ by faith. John 12, 42. Let's read. Nevertheless, even many of the leading men believed in him, but, okay, but because of the Pharisees, so they believed, they would not confess it. Sounds some familiar. For fear that if they acknowledged him openly, they would be put out of the synagogue or their friends. For they loved the approval of men more than the approval of God. What prohibited them from the commitment was, I don't want to be rejected by people. But Jesus loudly declared, the one who believes and trusts in me does not believe only in me, but also believes in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees the one who sent me. See, we also can choose spiritual blindness blindness when we choose man's acceptance. Oh, I got to say that again. Because one of the biggest challenges for people is they don't want to be rejected by people. They don't want to feel like they're not cool or accepted. Family from their children, from their friends, from their coworkers, from their neighborhood, from the soccer parents, whatever you I want to be in with the crowd. I want to be I don't want to be weird. You know what? Shall we choose God's acceptance over man's? See, because when we don't, according to this text, we can believe but we will sustain spiritual blindness. We can believe but not commit. Say, well, isn't belief and belief and faith? No, not necessarily. Belief and faith aren't the same thing. They say demons believe. <laughs> Scripture says demons believe. Well, they're not saved. They're not committed. See, the thing is, is that our faith is the commitment after we believe. Hebrews eleven one. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Not seen. The truth is spiritual blindness is wiped away, is healed through our faith, and we don't have to see to believe. 2 Corinthians 5, 7, for we live by faith, not by sight. What are we talking about? Not by sight physically. We live by faith. We see spiritually, but we don't necessarily see physically the results of everything that we ask for. See, the thing is, brothers and sisters, the Lord wants to build your spiritual eyesight by you believing without seeing. Many of us want God to perform quickly. We want God to be like McDonald's, which happens to sometimes be very slow, by the way. But initially, sometimes, I'm like, unless I'm a very impatient person. But the fact is, we want it in and out. We want Mick whatever, Mick answer. We want God to perform for our need. And God many times says, no, I want to build your faith. And how I build your faith is that I want you to believe or see spiritually that which you yet do not have received physically. 
See, faith is nurtured, listen, faith is nurtured in physical darkness. Not spiritual darkness, physical darkness, meaning that the answer has not yet come. And we develop spiritual eyesight by believing without seeing, by having faith before God shows up. This is what Abraham did. Abraham had a long walk with God by this point in time in Genesis 22. His son is a teenager. Isaac is a teenager. The long-awaited promise. And then God tells Abraham, go take Isaac up to the mount and sacrifice him. And Abraham, because he has developed such a faith, spiritual eyesight, that he says, okay. And he doesn't concern himself with the fact that there is no sacrifice. And he believes God. He has such faith, such spiritual eyesight, that he is willing to lay down his only son, his promised son on the altar. And we know the story that God intervenes and says, I'm Jehovah Jireh. He has the ram in the thicket. But the point of the story is Abraham's great faith. That before he ever sees the answer in the physical realm, he believes God. Scripture says that he, he believed God even if he had to, to kill Isaac, lay him down on the altar. Because he believed that God could resurrect him. He had such belief. What is the point? The point is this. Spiritual sight is developed in the dark in the physical realm many times when we yet do not see the results. A lot of times Christians want to abandon the walk when they don't get the results. And spiritual sight is developed in that. Spiritual sight and faith is developed when we have the waiting period. See, Jesus came to heal spiritual blindness. Luke 4.18 says this, He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. Jesus came to dispel darkness. John 8.12 says this, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. He who follows me, not just meets me, not just meets me, follows me. Not just encounters me, but follows me. He will not walk in darkness. There is a commitment. You will not walk in darkness if you follow me. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says this. For God who said light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts. To give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. To give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. In the face of Christ. It's interesting how Paul writes to the Corinthians, very spiritual, heady people who are really into spirituality. How he writes that it's the light of the knowledge. It reminds me of Romans 12 too, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. See, the thing is this. We, God gives us the light of the knowledge so that we are become transformed. See, Jesus does not want us to walk in darkness in any area of our lives. 
According to this text, in John 8, 12, he who follows me will not walk in darkness. It is a commandment. You will not walk in darkness. If you are walking in darkness in any area of your life, it is not the will of the Lord. We, when we walk in darkness in an area of our life, we sustain or we remain a slave to sin. How do we, why, how can a, a Christian walk in darkness in an area of their life? The truth is they can't because they don't allow the lordship of Christ in that area. They close out God. Pride, unbelief, rebellion keeps us from allowing God's light in areas of our life. Jesus, that's why Jesus said, follow me. You have to follow me. Are you following him? Are you following him in every area? Do you allow God to go in every area? Are there certain things that you just said are closets that you do not allow God to go in? Is there secrecy? In your life that you do not allow God to go into. You're not following Christ in that area of your life. Jesus said you will not have darkness. That is a question you have to ask yourself. To obey. To obey. I know it's hot in here, people. I'm sweating. <laughs> to obey. Biggest challenge for us as followers. I remember when I became Phoebe's mom. Phoebe was two. And when I became her mom, she was two, almost going on three. She had difficulty obeying. She did. But the story gets worse for me. And, uh, and I was frustrated about that. I was new. I was a new mom. I didn't really know what to do. And I asked the Lord about this. I said, Lord, Phoebe's not obeying me. She's having a hard time obeying me. What am I to do? And this is what the Lord said. Well, Lynn, when you start obeying me more consistently, she will start obeying you more consistently. <laughs> come on, parents. Let's get real here. Some of you come up, oh, my kids are so rebellious. And yet... There are areas in your life with the Lord that you don't let God take lordship over. And we wonder why our children are obeying. And God is saying, you learn to obey. And then it's almost like they fall into place. I want to challenge us as parents. Let's get real. Let's get real about every area of our life. See, Jesus came that we would choose freedom to walk in the light. And it says in the word that we are to follow him. But to follow him means I'm going to choose to walk in the light. And we always have a choice. We always have a choice to walk in the light. Do we choose him? Do we choose to walk in the light? To receive the revelation of the light in our lives. We are in process. When we become saved, it's not just, we are not made perfect yet. We are in the process of becoming like Jesus. So we have choices ahead of us as believers. Do we choose to walk 
in the light. And to choose to walk in the light means I am willing to be changed. Changed. Transformed. We cannot walk in the light and remain the same. We choose change. We choose transformation. John 8, 33, Jesus speaks to the Jews who had believed him. Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Pastor David, come up here. Okay, hold this. Just hold it. Okay, you can drink it. Hold that. Hold this. Hold it. Hold those good. Okay. Okay. Look at no, 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 no. Hold to my teaching. Look at. Take the picture. No, you're gonna break your finger. This is heavy. Holding to your teaching. Why do I say hold to the teaching? When you're holding to his teaching, you can't grasp other things. You fill yourselves with holding his teaching. But if you don't hold to his teaching, you can grasp other things. What is Jesus saying? You're committed to my teaching. Are you committed to his teaching? Because then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. See, that's the result of holding to his teaching. The problem is people aren't set free because they're not holding to his teaching. They want the quick fix, and I move on. I don't have to hold or commit to anything. So what did they say? They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know you are Abraham's descendants, yet you plan to kill me because my word, listen, because my word has no place to grow in you and it makes no change in your heart. That's a powerful statement. See, those who heard, even believed, would not commit. Those who heard, even said, well, that sounds good, would not commit. They were not willing for the change. You can sit here week after week. You can sit here and say, why isn't this working, Lynn, for me? Why am I not free? You know what? You got to hold to the teaching. You got to commit to it. You got to be willing to have permanent change. See, in this scripture, Jesus says, there's no place in your heart for me. There's no place for me to grow in you. Because you're not willing to hold to my teachings. It is very important. This is a house of freedom. It is very important to me as a pastor that this is a place where people can come and be free. But the truth is this. To be free, you have to hold to his teaching. I can't do that for you. Pastor Dave cannot do it for you. You have to say, I am desperate for freedom. I'm going to hold to his teaching. I am willing to be transformed in every area of my life. No darkness, no hiding, 
living in the light. If you're hiding, you're not living in the light. Say, well, I'm afraid I'm going to be judged. You know what? You're not going to be judged. That's the enemy. You're not going to be judged. You know what? I know all kinds of things about people. All kinds of things. I know things about some of the best preachers in this district. Because I went to school with them. College. Before they were married. When they were wild. I don't hold them to that condemnation of something that they did. No. They're changed. They're transformed. They walk in the light fearlessly. You don't have to be ashamed. Shame comes from the enemy to keep you bound to darkness. Come into the light to be free so that you can be free indeed. See, Adam and Eve chose darkness and hiding because of sin. Their eyes were open to evil and sin, and they became slaves to sin. God does not want you walking as a nocturnal being. He wants you walking in the light. And when we walk as a nocturnal being, we are slaves to sin. See, when Jesus did his work on Calvary, he shifted us from slaves to sin to sons and daughters of him. And then he said that, sons and daughters, it's permanent for you. Being a slave to sin for humanity is temporary or should be temporary. In other words, they have opportunity to get out of being a slave. But he wants us to be his sons and daughters who walk in freedom because he came to destroy the works of darkness. See, when you walk in the freedom of God, when you walk in the light of God, you see his kingdom. His kingdom is greater than you as an individual. His kingdom is beyond even your own self. We walk in his kingdom. Scripture tells us in John 17, it says, we're not of this world. As a believer, you are not of this world. You are not of the culture of this world. And the truth is, you got to change the way that you think. Some of us are trying too much to fit in to the world. You're not of this world. See, when we walk in the light, we see God's kingdom. John 3, verse 3 says this. Jesus said to Nicodemus, Jesus answered him, I assure you, And most solemnly say to you, unless a person is born again, reborn from above, spiritually transformed, renewed, sanctified, he cannot ever see and experience the kingdom of God. You have to be born again. The question is this, are you born again? Because to be born again is everything is being made new. Some people are religious, but they're not born again. And we are to be born again because when we're born again, we see differently. Our eyes see differently. You cannot use your old way of thinking, your old way of seeing when you're born again. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. The old is gone, the new is here. The old is gone, the new is here. You don't have to have anything from your former life. No longer live in darkness. No longer in secrecy. No more hiding. New is here. You now see differently. Well, what do you mean, Pastor Lynn? I mean, see? I mean, do I look at 
do I look at Jose's shoes and say, those aren't red, they're blue. I see differently. No. Let me explain to you. I'm a sight about perception and sight. Sight is a very different thing than perception. Your perception. It's up here. Perception versus sight. Sight will show you the state of the world, of your life and of others. It will show you what you enjoy and what you dislike about it. It will influence reaction. But how you take in sight is highly fickle. It depends on your perception. I want you to say perception. Say perception. Perception. Perception is how you choose to take in the information you're exposed to. Perception is a highly personal thing, even though sight is collectively shared. So we all see I'm wearing black. See, we shared that. But perception can be very different. Perception is about the filtering of information with the automated thought processes of the mind. You judge what you see positively or negatively based upon your perceptions, which is influenced by your philosophy, religion, culture, emotion, or anything of that nature. Okay, sight, actually physically looking at something, versus how you process what you look at. When you are a new creation, when you have a transformed mind, you will perceive things differently now. You may look at the same thing, see the same problem, see the same circumstance, but with a transformed mind because of the Holy Spirit who is the greatest influence upon how you see, you will see it differently. The problem is some of us are seeing things the same exact way that they, we saw before we became a believer. We're looking at it just like the world looks at it. But we're, we're changed. We're transformed, every part of us. And now the Holy Spirit is your main influence of your thought life. So the filter of what you see is filtered through what the Holy Spirit says about it. Come on. I am so tired of faithless thinking about things, doubtful thinking about things. When truly the Holy Spirit should be the greatest influencer on your thought life. See, we don't have to see and react Listen, we don't have to see and react. We now can perceive what the Holy Spirit is communicating to us through what we see and respond. We're not to be reactionary. We are to be responders based upon what the Holy Spirit tells us. What do you mean? That sounds really complex. <laughs> not so. Jesus is a great example of this. Jesus saw Simon, and he said, you're Peter, you're the rock. Jesus saw an adulterous woman, and he said, daughter, you're forgiven. Jesus saw a lame man and says, you're an athlete. Now jump and leap and praise. See, the way Jesus saw things were very different because he lived with the Holy Spirit mindset. Some of us, we're not living with the Holy Spirit mindset. We don't have Holy Spirit eyesight. 
And the Lord says, I have made you new. You are a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are new. Get those stinking thinking out of your brain and allow my Holy Spirit to change the way that you perceive things. Yes, the problem may look the same, but the way you perceive it will be different. It's time. Some of us, we need to change the way we pray or how we use prayer, let's just say. See, prayer is one way we're renewed. One way that God changes our thinking. You see, a lot of times we pray to fix things. Some of us don't pray until we need something to be fixed. It's like, I have a problem, I should pray. But the truth is this, prayer is not to fix things. Prayer is to get us in agreement with God about the situation. Prayer is to say, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And a lot of us, we pray and get frustrated in prayer because God's not doing what we're asking him to do. All along, God is saying, I want you in agreement. Jesus went up to the Father to be in agreement with the Father. He went up to solitude in prayer to be in agreement. Thy will be done on earth. You see, our spiritual eyesight, we need a spiritual change. We need our spiritual eyesight to change about the circumstance. And prayer helps us to get in agreement with what God is wanting to do. It's part of the kingdom of God. Some people, and I found this even with Christians, weak Christians, Christians who are not in the word, they don't think prayer is fixing it, so they consult. They'll go and try to find answers in any sort of spiritual power available to them. The danger of not wanting agreement with the Father is that we will want to try to get our way or it fixed by going and consulting other spiritual things. It may be cloaked in something else. But we want our way rather than saying, change me, God. Change the way that I think. Change my perception on this. You see, we can get familiar with the things of God to the point where we don't recognize what God's wanting to do. We can start to take things for granted. We can start even being in the presence of God and not realizing we're in the presence of God. We're in the glory of God. God's glory is all around us and we're ho-hum on our phone. Ho-hum on our phone. Disconnected with the very thing that God is wanting to do in our lives. Example, Jacob. Remember Jacob. This is one of my favorite stories because it shows me that people who have been in God's presence, even having a heritage of faith handed down. Jacob was third generation person, patriarch of the faith, did not know he was in the presence of God. Genesis 28 verse 10 says this. 
Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth, which its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending. I'm going to tell you right now, in the pres- you, right now, you are in the presence of God. Right now, angels are ascending and descending. Some angels are trying to keep you from being distracted. Some angels are fighting for you right now so that you hear the word of the Lord that will free you, that will cause you to have a change and a transformation as you're in the presence of God. Right now, angels are ascending and descending. Do you perceive that? When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Jacob, who had experienced the blessings of his father Isaac, who knew of his father Abraham, who is part of the patriarchy, did not know he was in the presence of God. How can we get so so unaware so used to. I have seen people in the church get cynical, get critical about the presence of God. And you know what? What does that do? That prevents us from receiving. See, he lacked perception, spiritual eyesight. The other thing we see about this story with Jacob is this. Spiritual eyesight cannot be inherited. He had to experience it for himself. And I'm talking to you from a a person that has had the heritage of faith handed down to me me from a third, fourth generation believer. I know this to be true, that I have to experience God for myself. Your children have to experience God for themselves. Your grandchildren have to experience God for themselves. And I'm going to tell you, we can get away in the way of that. We can get in the way of that by not being faithful. We can get in the way of that by being cynical and critical and resistant and rebellious. I've seen it. I've seen it in the church. And I'm telling you, this house, we're going to be a people that bring the next generation into the presence of God and cultivate the presence of God because now more than ever they need spiritual eyesight. They need to see. They need to walk with the spiritual authority that God has designed them to walk in. And they need to be able to discern between darkness and light. But we have to be models of that. We have to be cultivating that. Somebody said something to me a couple, a few weeks ago. You know, the youth, church, sometimes Pastor Lynn, they're screwing around. Screwing around. I'm all, you know what? I screwed around too when I was in church. But you know what? Ultimately, my parents got me in the presence of God. And I would screw around all during service, and then altar time came, and I was bawling like a baby. Come on. We keep plunging them in the presence of God. Yeah, they're growing. Yeah, they're youth. Yeah, they can get sassy mouth. Yeah, kids can run all over the place. Yeah, 
parents, grandparents, aunties, uncles, friends, keep the children, keep yourself in the presence of God. The presence of God is a transforming presence. And they will perceive his presence. If you keep getting them in the presence of God. But you've got to realize this. Faith is not inherited. They have to experience it for themselves. The New Testament shows us this too. John 9 verse 20 says this. This is a story about the young man that was born blind. And, of course, the Pharisees didn't like the fact that Jesus once again was healing on the Sabbath. And once again, they were having a lot of conflict. But this young man is healed now. John 9, verse 20 says this. They're talking to the parents. The Pharisees are confronting the, par the parents about this, this young man that's been healed. We know he is our son, the parents answered. And we know he was born blind. But how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. This text is very important because it shows this, that the young man that was healed, it was his time to stand up. It was his time to confess the faith. It was his time to believe in God. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That is why his parents said, he is of age, ask him. A second time, they summoned the young man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner, speaking of Jesus. And he replied, this young man that was healed, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. He experienced Jesus. Every generation needs to spiritually see. Every generation needs the blindness ripped off of their eyesight. And it's time for us to put them in places to experience Jesus so that the spiritual blindness is tore off. I have such a heart for this generation. I have such a heart for the youth. I have such a heart for the children because I see how the enemy is trying to do what he, his assignment is to masquerade with light, his darkness as light. And he's trying to do it. And he's very seedy and insidious in how he's doing it. And we must be warriors. We must step up. We must be people who see with spiritual eyesight so that we can draw the next generation into the presence of God. We be, beware of having a hardened heart, a callous heart, an apathetic heart. I met a parent once who said this. I'll just let my kid figure it out spiritually. Spiritual things, let them figure it out on their own. You know what? If you don't step into the void of leading them spiritually, somebody else will. And I'm going to tell you who's behind that somebody else. It's the enemy. You better. Your job as parent as an authority person in their life, is to lead them into the things of God. The truth of Jesus Christ. Beware of your apathy. Beware of your apathy. Because when we are apathetic, what it tells the next generation, it's unimportant. It doesn't matter. Other things are more important, and it causes them never to be able to see spiritually. Whew. 
I know you're all waiting till I'm done. I know that. Last thing I'm going to say is this. Jesus speaks about the beam and the speck. You know that story, the beam and the speck, right? And he says in Matthew 7, 3, this is one thing that can prevent our spiritual eyesight, is that we have a log or a beam in our eye, and we're trying to get the speck out of the other person's eye. And this is what Jesus pretty much says, you're a hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Why is this, what does this have to do with spiritual eyesight? It has a lot to do with it. Because a lot of times, our sinful nature wants to point out the specks in everybody else. That's why when I began this message, I said, let's evaluate our own selves. See, if somebody has a log or a beam in their eye, they're pretty much blind versus a person who has a speck. I uh, take care of my grandchildren during the summer because school's out twice a week. And I had Penny. The boys were at BBS, so Penny and I were by ourselves. She's a lot of fun. We have a lot of fun together. And we were sitting on my bed, and I had a pair of socks on. And my socks, I had like athletic socks, but one of my socks was inside out because you know how sometimes the seam can rub your foot, right? So I had one sock on regular and one sock inside out and Penny came and sat next to me and she said grandma I don't like the way your socks are you need to change them they're not right you need to change them so that they're the same and then I looked down at Penny's socks and she had two different absolutely different color socks and I'm all girl look at your own socks your own socks you're not even close to being the same how a log can get in her eye at such a young age how our human nature can see the food in everybody else's teeth, can see the problem in somebody else's life, rather than saying, Lord, change me. Lord, create capacity in me. Lord, I make room for you, for your word to grow in me. Ignoring our own sins, saying that they're not that important compared to somebody else's sin that's much greater than our own. And the Lord's saying, don't you worry about somebody else's sin. Why don't you start taking the beam out of your own eye? And I'm telling you this is because one of the greatest faults in the body of Christ in our world is that we're so busy trying to get the speck out of the world's eye and we have a beam in our own eye when the world themselves don't even yet have Jesus Christ or the Holy Spirit. Let us be people who have the humility to say, Lord, help me to get whatever is in my way, my spiritual eyesight that's wrong. Part of spiritual walk, our walk of maturity. Galatians 6, 1 says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you may be tempted. I want the worship team to come on up. So how do we prevent spiritual blindness? We keep a humble heart. We keep a heart that is open to the Holy Spirit. You see, we can get spiritually blind when we become arrogant in any way, when we become resistant, when we become rebellious, when we become prideful, when we think we know it all, when we've been, it even can be that we've been a believer for many, many years and nobody has anything to say to us, guess what? We've become spiritually blind. John 5, 43 says this, I have come in my Father's name and with his power, 
and you do not receive me because your minds are closed. Do we receive him? Do we receive his word? Or do we close our minds? Do we say, I don't want change? I don't want transformation. You don't receive me because your minds are closed. Lord, I don't want my mind to be closed. I want to keep growing in you. I want to walk in your power and authority. I want your transformation in my life. I want to walk in your light so that this generation can follow me, so that I can say, follow me as I follow Christ. I want you right now to bring your own life, your spiritual life, to the Lord. And I want you to ask him, Lord, is there any spiritual blindness? Do I have places in my life? Am I being a control freak? Trying to be in control, not letting you be in control. Am I being resistant to you, Lord? I believe this season of the body of Christ, the church, is a juncture. It's a juncture for this generation. There's a lot of competing spiritualities out there, and they sound really good to this generation because they encompass everything. They encompass everything. They accept everything. It's a broad path. And it sounds so good and cool, but it's the enemy that's parading around, masquerading himself as light. And this world needs discerning believers that walk in the light to know the true light. And Jesus is the true light. And we walk in the true light when we follow Jesus, when we hold to his teachings, when we say, change me, Lord, transform me. Some of us, we got, we got a crawl space some places that the Lord says, I, knock, knock, I want to transform that. Some of us are making excuses. Some of us have adopted the world's views on some things. And then we have made that area acceptable because it's in alignment with the world. And the Lord says, you're not walking free. You're still walking bound. He who the Son sets free is free indeed. You are my son. You are my daughter. My sons and my daughters do not live in bondage to any sin, big or small. But they live in freedom. And that freedom is not temporary. That's what Jesus said. That freedom is not temporary. I want you to stand. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Listen, as your pastor at this season in your life, at this season in the church's life, the goal is to make you a muscle Christian. So that whatever you face... You're, you arise to the occasion. You go out swinging. You're a heavy hitter. You're going to be a heavy hitter. 
You can go to other churches. They're not going to make you heavy hitters, but this one is going to. You're going to know the word. You're going to know the truth. You're going to bring people into the light. Holy Spirit. Come on, I just want you to, to lift your arm. I just feel like you. some of you, some of you, you, you got to get that pride down and get the hands up. Woo! Get the pride down and the hands up. The pride is preventing. Some of you, the thinking, some of your thoughts are preventing you. And the Lord says you are a new creation, transformed. You are transformed. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, you're going to walk in the light as he is in the light. You're going to walk in the light as he is in the light. The Lord wants freedom in your life. Freedom, freedom, freedom. You want chains broken? Walk in the light. Hold to his teaching. I want to read a scripture over you as you're standing. Those of you that say, you know what, Pastor Lynn, some of the things that you said today confronted me. The word confronted me today. Maybe there's some areas, maybe there's just a challenge for you. I'm going to read to you what Paul writes to the, the people in Ephesus. The people that I said lived in a very spiritually complex world of idol worshipers. This is what he says. Ephesians 1.18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. What he's saying, increase the light. Your spiritual eyesight shall increase. There's greater levels. The Lord's saying, I am causing you to see greater spiritually. It's not that you've been blind. You're, you're my child, but I am saying I'm increasing your spiritual eyesight. Later, at the end of that same book, he says in Ephesians 6.10, Now be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Why? Because your eyes of your heart have been enlightened. Jesus. Some of you in this room, I'm just going to be straight at what the Lord is telling me. Some of you need to be prayed with because maybe you have consulted things that felt harmless at the time, but it wasn't spiritually from the Lord. It was other things, from other spirits. Some of you, you need to, maybe you've dabbled, maybe it was, you know, something you did in your work and they everybody was doing it, so you just kind of did it. And the Lord, I just feel really strongly that that needs to be, you need to have that severed. You need to denounce that. Some of you, you have things areas of your life and this is it sometimes I just feel like and you say Lynn how do you know that these kind of moments are real because I've had them in my own life 
That's how I know that they're real. There's it moments. There's the moment where I say, this is the juncture. This is the word. The word has come to me. The word is before me. So you had an it moment when you became a believer. That was an it moment. That was a, I believe, Lord, my faith. I believe in you. But we have other moments like that, just like Jacob had. That he said, I'm in the presence of the Lord. I didn't even know it. And some of you have this moment to say, there's an area of my life that I need to submit to the Lord to allow the light of Jesus to come to bring freedom in that area. And today's the day. And you need to, to covenant with the Lord for that. The Lord wants some of you, the Lord wants to change your desires. Some of you, you desire human man's approval. You hate when people don't accept you. you. You are so bound by human approval. And you know you are. You are way down deep. Know you are. You may not tell anybody, but you are. And the Lord wants to break that off of you. You can't ask for human approval when you need God's approval. See, it's not the same thing. And that needs to be broken off of you. That needs to be broken off of you today. I'm going to pray. I'm going to release you all to, the, to leave. But those of you that the word has come to you and you need, it's an it moment for you. I want you to not leave here without responding. Let's bow our heads. Father, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come. Lord, I pray, Father, that this word would saturate the lives of people. We are people of the light. We will walk carrying your light. We are a light to this world. And, Lord, just like there is no darkness in you, there is no darkness in us, Lord, because we belong to you. And so, Lord, we don't want to be deceived. We don't want to be apathetic. We don't want to be compromised. We don't want to adopt the world's way. But, Lord, we want to walk in your light. Lord, we want to also be people who bring the next generation into your light, into the truth of who you are. So, Father, I pray over this house, Lord, that we would be a humble house that submits ourselves to your word, that changes us, that washes us, that transforms our minds, Lord, that transforms us, Lord. And we thank you, Father, for your word. We don't reject your word. We receive it. We adopt it. We commit. We hold to your word, Lord. In your name, amen. May the Lord bless you as you go tonight. For those of you that are part of the study, it starts at 530 tonight.